0: I'm so glad to be here. My heart has always been here. This has always been my home church from so far back. Uh, I never had any kind of spiritual father other than Pastor Ed. He was the only one that ever touched my heart the way he did. Uh, I have a mandate from God since the last 40 years. I was called from the pastoral ministry to the prophetic. I fought it very harsh and hardly hard with my heart. I had a train collision with my wife and child in the car. The train hit our vehicle because I refused to go. My excuse was I had responsibility and I had a family to take care of. And that, in the late 70s, early 80s, we didn't know what prophets were. The only thing I knew was they were always in trouble. <laughs> and I did not want to be that one. So I told God I was the wrong person. Didn't, he didn't accept my excuses. And so the train collision came and he told me, you're not taking very good care of your family. Give them to me and do what I say, I'll do better than you. And since that day, 40 years later, I'm still doing that. With a great joy in my heart, I started here in South Africa and the first six, seven years was a challenge second to none. I was summoned to many Sanhedrins, including with Pastor Ed, where he embraced me, but before that I was always on trial because it was most understood ministry. Through that I learned an enormous amount uh, and have great experience And my mandate was always to raise up healthy, biblical, Bible-based, church-going prophets. If you're not a member of a local church, I have difficulty already with you. Because if you don't understand his church, his kingdom, you won't be healthy spiritually. Going to church once a month is not enough. You have to be locked in. It's a family. If you don't understand that, you have no business prophesying into the church. At my age, I'm a little less sensitive about not offending people. I'm a little more, at my age, I haven't got time to play games. I want to get to the target as quick as I can. And the truth will make you free and we want to build God's kingdom. I am desperately raising up and looking for people that have integrous prophetic anointings in their lives that will raise up a standard and that's what I'm doing. Why I'm here these next 12 days, oddly enough, it's a year of Timothy for this church which is the next generation that's what we do. In obedience to the Lord, we launched in October a prophetic school called the Prophets Academy. You can find it online at propheticlife.com. The purpose and the threefold... The way this is built is that it's a family for the prophetic people. They will be protected, they will be sheltered, but they'll also be accountable. They will be screened to make sure that they are part of local churches, are recommended, they have healthy backgrounds. And then when they are, they will be allotted to, or they can choose one of our coaches who are seasoned, mature ministries. Ninety percent of your success in any ministry flows from your relationship with the Lord, not your giftedness. It is in my coaching and training of people that I've learned that if I take away your gift, would you still have a ministry? If your ministry is built on your gift, it's not a ministry. Your ministry comes from your relationship with God. If you have a ministry, you don't have to announce it. You don't have to promote it. It will take care of itself. People will not leave you alone because you're connected to the Almighty. And when they want touch from God, they can't help but get around you. That's where a real ministry really is. And so if you have giftedness, too, to go with it, to help engineer, help enhance, help bring that across, that's wonderful. But that's what I focus on because we are looking for, and I see the end of my tunnel not too long from now, so I'm doing as hard as I can to promote the prophetic. God gave me instruction to come to this country three times this year and to stir and to invest in the prophets as hard as I can. And that's why I'm here. This church is always... Since I can remember, because the prophetic was unheard of when I first started, there was nobody, nobody prophesying in this nation, maybe Kim Clement, and he was more of an evangelist then. And so it was a hard journey for me, but this church always embraced the gift of prophecy and prophets with such balance and health, and Pastor Ed always understood how that worked, and it was a wonderful home for me to find and a place of safety in my own life. God called me to America. I still don't know why, but I have the heart and vision to launch the prophetic thing right here in this name. In fact, we have an encounter coming up, not this Monday to tomorrow, but the next two, those two days, a week later, right here in Midrand in South Campus of, of uh, what's it called? Axe Church. Thank you, Axe Church. If you're interested in coming to our encounter and you feel you're prophetic, please, please come. I don't get to be here a lot. And uh, Antony, just wave me, please, that you need to talk to him and he'll help get you registered for, to come to that encounter. All right. <laughs> I've got so much to say, I haven't got enough time to say it. In, and I've got to watch the clock, apparently, too. All right, so, um, please turn your Bibles to the book of John. Unser Johannes, <laughs> for them Deutsch reden können, heißt das Johannes Kapitel 4. Ich liebe die Deutsche. Meine Mutter war ein Deutschland, in Berlin. Sie hat gefluchtet mit dem Krieg, sie Juden war. Gibt es jemand da? Gibt da? Freut mich. You'll all speak like this one day. All right, the book of John, chapter 4. I haven't got time to teach you all the things I'd like to teach you, but John was a fascinating disciple, being the only one that was not sacrificed or, or martyred in any way. He lived to be an old, old man in his 90s. He wrote the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos in his 90s, this book of John he wrote apparently in his early 80s uh, with the help of some of his Turkish disciples in Ephesus is where he wrote it and his focus was very different after being 18 years old when he met Jesus, he was the youngest of the disciples and he was very avid for the Lord, uncorrupted, didn't have emotional difficulties like Peter who felt very insecure, he was strong, he was confident he wrote in this particular book five times the one who Jesus loved, nobody else believed that but him, but he was sure of it. He believed he was special, and that's okay. But that's how we should feel. All of us that we are indeed very special to the Lord. God is able to love each one of us as if we were the only one, and yet all equally. God is able to do all that. Now, John wrote in the book of John four. He starts out telling us in chapter one, verse one, chapter four, how that they were baptizing in the region of Jerusalem, and it was reported to them that they were baptizing more than John the Baptist. So when they relayed that to Jesus. He, the Lord Jesus, reacts and says, let's go back to Galilee. He avoided high profile. He was very specific in his methods of building or establishing the church. It seemed to me that he was more focused on a secluded area like Galilee, where he'd spend with 12 shabby choices of disciples, and he built his whole kingdom on these men, investing in them very intensely. And so, uh, understanding that, he wanted a retreat, and on the way back, they stopped at a place called Sikkar, which is in the Sumerian area. Sumerians, for those who don't know, were a mixed breed of Assyrians and Jews. They, the Jews didn't like them, Assyrians didn't like them. They were kind of in between the bark and the tree. Nobody liked them, and they were rejected. But he's at the Sikar, and he's sitting outside at midday, when the yacht of the day, at this little well, and his disciples have gone in to get food. Well, while he's sitting there, a woman comes there, Very unusual to come in the middle of the day. People get water first thing in the morning or late in the evening. But midday is because you're trying to avoid somebody, avoid people in general. She comes in. She's a very messed up, bitter, unhappy, uh, hurt, wounded woman. And she pours out all her misery on this total stranger who all he did was ask for a glass or pick a little bit of water and he, she pours out all this anger and he knows what's wrong in her life but he doesn't use his gift to try and expose or show that he knows but rather he begins to gently nudge her in the direction of of healing, deliverance and salvation and eventually she gives him permission to speak into her life and she says, go ahead and give me this living water and he says, go call your husband and he says, I don't have one. You speak the truth. You've had five and you're living with a man at the moment. When she says this, her demeanor and her attitude changes instantly. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Didn't take much and the revelation of piece of her life and, he said, and then she attacks him again Because you Jews say we ought to worship God in Jerusalem. We were told by our forefathers to worship God here on the mountain. And this is the reply of Jesus. And you should know at least one of the verses I'm about to read. Are you with me? Verse 21, the book of John, chapter 4. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but rather choose life. (laughs) <laughs> I know all those watching on TV are envious of this church, but you can always visit us. You're always welcome when you come here. Okay, verse 22. You Samaritans, this is what Jesus said, which changed my life. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvations from the Jews. Very interesting. I was kind of shocked by that because for years I dismissed that because salvation from the Jews would mean you. You're talking about yourself. But he's saying we Jews worship what we do know. So I began to think, no, I got it wrong. What is he trying to tell us? That we Jews worship what we do know. And I began to research and explore and and call upon the Lord to give me an understanding of this, this scripture that bothered you Samaritans. How can you worship something you don't know? Why would they be worshiping? And I realized they were handed down the same scriptures, the same principle of worship, and they worshiped, but they didn't know him the way the Jews know him. So how did the Jews know him? It is a very long, hard journey uh, I am troubled by my heart, by the president taking on the Jews to world court for this situation they're in, because nobody's suffered persecution. And I'm from a Jewish family. My family exiled the Holocaust. You know, the people are always tickled when people ask me, and I take tourists to Israel, when they see the enormous building skills they had in the time of Jesus already, massive rocks that weigh tons that they move without difficulty. And I always tell them, I'm glad you asked me how they did this. They had 400 years of practice. (laughs) Without straw. Without help. Without any kindness whatsoever. So don't tell me about apartheid or slavery, because Jews have had 400 years of abuse. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, a more terrible time is coming, has never been and never be again. And He was talking to the era that the Jews in 70 AD would be overrun by the Romans and they would run to the hills and scatter themselves till 1948, almost 2,000 years. It wasn't just the Holocaust where six million people were killed. It's for centuries and centuries they suffered persecution. You can just, just for the sake of being a Jew, there's hatred. With you, People just know you're Jewish, they hate you. I'm from a Jewish family and people dislike me. I go to Israel, now how they even know that I'm Jewish, I don't know. I don't speak Hebrew and they immediately identify me. And so I understand what it is just to be hated or, or, or profiled. But I was raised Jewish. I was raised in Cape Town in a Jewish family and culture. I didn't know what apartheid was because we're not raised like that. We have white Jews, black Jews, every colored Jew you can imagine. We don't don't rationalize like that. So I wasn't raised like that. I wasn't raised with that mentality. We were taught from a very young age to be hospitable to everybody, to be kind. Jerusalem is a city for all mankind. And so, I can honestly tell you, if you have any inclination that the Jews are doing genocide or something wrong to the, uh, to the Palestinians, you are uninformed, you're not making good judgement with the right information. <laughs> <laughs> the horror of people being still held hostage. It's increasing in number because they have been forced being raped and getting pregnant. And there are little children that were released that tell stories that are, are, are like a nightmare. Dad was murdered when they first started. Mother died being raped and butchered. And this little child comes home to no parents and they still have hostages. Must we just let them? Okay, we'll try and be nice to you, pull it to you guys. No. Why won't they surrender? So they won't. And so they has to be held accountable. When they fight terrorism or Hamas or Hasbalah, anybody of these extremists, it's the very same people that brought the towers down in New York. It's the very same. You don't have it in South Africa as much, but terrorism is all over the world and, and they are fighting terrorism for us. And they're God's people. Perfect, I'm sure they're not. But before you make a judgment, at least get the information correct. At least. Thank you. If you hate me because I'm Jewish, I'm used to it. It doesn't bother me at all. It really doesn't. All right. So this is what I've learned from the Lord because salvation came from the Jews. They know him and I began to ponder it. And then I found out that the history of Israel has been nothing but hardship. And that was the only way they got to know the Lord. And all these songs of salvation all celebrate what the Lord did, how he delivered them. And it began to puzzle me. Now, I must tell you, honestly, you must listen carefully to what I'm saying, and I'm not doing a syllable in my pause, I'm doing Ed Trout now. You must listen carefully what I'm telling you. You are as much as a Jew as any Israelite. The word Jew means chosen. The day you got born again, you became a joint heir and you became chosen. Al-Qaeda does not... Decapitate any Hare Krishna or any Buddhist. They are nothing. They're not an infidel. It's only only Jews and Christians that they want to kill. So you are joint heirs and as much hated as any Jew. And they are your brothers. The Israelites are your brothers. We celebrate this. Everything you read in your Bible, a Jew wrote. Not one Gentile. The closest a Gentile would have been Luke, but he, got, he became a Jew first. We're smart, what can I say? <laughs> you know, everyone always ask me, where did Paul where did this this Luke Luke come from? He came from Antioch. He was born and raised in Antioch. He was a Greek boy, and there was a big move of Jews there and a big move of Christians. And so he got became a Jew, medical doctor, and then he became a Christian. And he wrote the book of Luke and the Book of Acts. Very strongly, didn't try and put any of his opinion in He relate like any good doctor. This is the information, the, the notes. Very important that you understand that. And so uh, we understand all the, the persecution. Christians are persecuted too. If you really let your light shine, I promise you, when you get to the office, people stop talking. Then the coffee's always done. And you're always getting passed down. It's always your fault. It was your mistake. There's always something going on if you're a child of God. Because it's that spirit that hates The truth and light that's inside of you. You are joint heirs with the Israelites and you should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem and the safety of your brothers. Do you hear what I'm saying? No matter what color, that color nonsense gets on my last nerve. I can't stand it anymore. People that say they're black and white, it's a lot of nonsense. I'm not even white. Look, I'm pink. (laughs) And if I look at my black brothers, they're brown, they're tan, they're not black. Don't say that. They may have a culture, but we are the same family. We that are born again are the same family. Amen. All right. So getting back to, so I began to explore, Lord, what is it? And I found out that Christians, when you get born again, you are excited and new, all things are passed away and new things begin. But the truth is, trouble has begun for you. Because you've had more persecution as a Christian and difficulties just because you're a Christian. And I found out, and I did not like the words of Jesus, I can be honest with you, it really bothered me. Mark chapter 9 verse 59 says this, and you all know the next verse, the last verse, 60 says that we are the salt of the earth. And the salt has lost its saltiness, it is worth nothing but to be trampled. Do you recognize that scripture? Well the verse right before it is the one that startled me. Jesus said, not Paul, not Peter, Jesus said, everyone, everyone is salted by fire. And I did not like that when I read it. Because that means to get salty, I've got to go through fire. So when you're going through a fire, God's just making you salty. (laughs) So that you can make a difference. I realize now that a lot of what you see inside of someone that's so godly, they paid a price for. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, can we be at the left and right? He said, can you drink the same cup? There's a cup to drink for the certain levels that you want to go. The rich young ruler was safe. He said, you've done all the law, you're going to have eternal life, you're fine. But if you want to be perfect and go further, you must relinquish all the stuff you have. You've got to deny yourself and get rid of all the money. That was just too much to ask. There's a price to pay. If you want to walk closer and function with the Lord in a different, every time you go a higher level, there's going to be something required of you. You got quiet in here. Uh, not, almost everyone in this room can look back in their life and can see some really difficult stuff you went through and you couldn't understand why this had to happen to you. Yet God didn't make it, but God certainly used it to get you salty, to get you refined, to get you function. You wouldn't be the person of kindness and fruitfulness and, and compassion had you not gone through this difficulty. And some of the most finest Christians go through absolute hell, and you wonder why. And when I complain to the Lord that I'm going through difficulty, He says, don't let me show you how difficult it can get. Him and I have a very unusual relationship. He told me years ago, that him and I are incompatible and he was not changing. (laughs) So I find myself having to change all the time, but I can tell you this, there's no one like him. He is wonderful, he's kind, he's firm, but he's kind. And He loves you. Not one of you are here by chance. You didn't just happen to be here. He chose you. He cho- you didn't choose Him. Forget that. He chose you. As messed up as you are, as human as you are, He chose you. And He's got, he's got your number and He hears your prayers. Don't value or evaluate His favor or his, his attitude towards you by the stuff you go through. You're just being fired up for saltiness. You go through... Challenges And God watches how we do it. I look at how Jesus dealt with his friends, Martha, Mary, and good old Lazarus. They were not just someone he knew. The Bible says clearly he loved them. He was very fond of them. And he gets word that Lazarus is sick. And he doesn't even make one iota to move to go and help him. And then when he dies, he even prophetically knows. He says, Lazarus fallen asleep. Oh, he's fallen asleep, Lord, then he'll wake up. No, no, he's in a different kind of sleep. And so we need to go wake him. And they said, we can't go back to Jerusalem. They'll kill us. But he goes back there and he, the, he, Lazarus is dead for three days already. But he says before he goes there, and I'm so glad I was not there. And that just also disturbed me. you happy that you could have gone to stop him dying, but you happy because you didn't? What an odd thing to say, Jesus, that you're glad that you were not there to rescue Lazarus. Then he said, so that you may believe. Well, we can believe without having to go through hell, death, no fun experience. And it was three days. Can you imagine what those girls were going through, taking valiums, couldn't sleep at night. People saying, you poor old Lazarus, I remember playing this game. Yes, I did. All day, every day. And now Jesus comes. And he's not even in a hurry. He's not even in a hurry. He arrives. He's not even close. And already, Martha runs to meet him. Mary stays home. She runs to meet him. You should have been here. You felt like that? That God should have done something? Why didn't you help me, Lord? You should have been here. Then my brother wouldn't have died. Then Martha says his most magical words. He said, but even now, when you pray, God hears you. What? What? You know, you'll rise again. Yes, I know, Lord, you'll rise on that day of resurrection. No, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will not die. Do you believe in this, Martha? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. And then she says, you are the son of God. Now, when Peter said that, he got excited. He was so excited at Martha's revelation in the storm that he could have helped avoid. He could have helped avoid your car wreck. Your loss of your job, the storm you went through—could have, he could have—but he's watching. Now the Bible says he sat down, and he said, "Go call your sister." Uh, excuse me, Jesus. Didn't you come here to specifically raise that man? Uh, aren't we a little late already? Could we not just walk back together? And then, why are you sitting down? Because he saw that Martha had gained an enormous amount. That he wasn't aware of because she seemed so carnal, yet she gave space for a miracle. So he wanted to see Mary who went to church every Sunday. Who listened to everything he said. So Mary gets there, the Bible says, when she finally arrives, you should have been here. My brother would not have died. But there was no space for a miracle and the response of Jesus was also different. The Bible said he was grieved in his soul. Why was he so sad? Not for Lazarus. He's not in a hurry. It's for her because she went to church so much, heard the word so much, and then didn't produce anything. It's tragic if you go to church your whole life and no one gets saved because of you. It's tragic if you go to church your whole life and do nothing for God. And then you get the idiots in the church that are up and down, they mess up, they come, they go, but they're always bringing people, they're always getting people saved, always witnessing. <laughs> Give me an idiot anytime. It'll do something for God. I would rather sink, but have walked in the water sometime, than stay in the boat safely and never sink. I don't. I don't boast that I'm not. Sir, I didn't sink. I boast that I walked in the water. Do you understand what I'm telling you? And so, in our life's journey, many of the storms you go through, God uses for His glory. It's for His purpose. I'm glad I was not there, that you may believe. I was glad that this thing happened, that I could bring you to a place, because eternity is what he's projecting your life for. What will become? Eternity. We're living in a very interesting year. So much is going to happen this year and change and so many things. It'll affect the whole world. But you are safe when you're in the parameters of God's purpose and plan. You are totally safe. You have nothing to be concerned about except the fear. The devil loves to intimidate and bark at you to get some fear or reaction. You cannot panic. You may not. Faith and panic do not live in the same place. You always got to promote your faith. Please don't get too excited with the preaching. Calm it down. I don't want you to get overly unduly upset, too excited. What kind of church is this? You guys are not Presbyterian, right? Just checking. Just checking. You are alive in there. Hello. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I'm watching my clock, and I do want to prophesy some, and I'm going to just shut it down, the message. But uh, I will not teach the same thing in both services. So if you want to stay, please feel f- completely free and I'll be excited. If you're interested in coming to our encounter and feel prophetic and you want to get connected, just see Antony Pasteur. He's actually a pa- pastor of a church in Springs. He also... Um, made time to come here, and also pa- Pastor, Prophet, um, Lee van Staden is here from, what's the name of your church? Brave. brave? Your church is Brave? People come up with the funniest name for churches these days. <laughs> Choose life. Okay. <laughs> brave church. Right. <laughs> Lee is a wonderful prophet of God. I've known her since a little girl. That's the scary part of getting old. That's the scary part. I remember when your when, uh, pastor John was dating Mundry when they were still at school. I remember that uh, yesterday. It's pretty scary. And now they're dating their own children. It's kind of, ooh, where did the time go? <laughs> Happens very fast. Don't waste your days, use them for God. Use every day for the Lord so you take something with you. Can you. You know, if every ministry has a benefit, if you get a miracle, a supernatural touch of God, you can enjoy it all the days of your life. But when your life ends, that's the end of all that blessing and all the miracles. But if you get a prophetic word, Jesus said, that, he says, The heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word. So it's the one thing that goes with you. And the devil hates it. He has fought the prophetic. It's the most misunderstood, most misappropriated, most disliked ministry there is. And I've fought it my whole life. My heart dream is to pass all that I've learned and and experienced on to the next generation. So I'm here with a Timothy year. I'm all for the Timothy year. Can you say amen to that? All right. Let the games begin. (laughs) Lock the doors, please. Let no one leave. (laughs) You like my Jewish humor. Jews are very weird people, you know, we have, uh, we have our own language, it's called, it's called heponics. you can never get an answer out of a Jew. So Izzy, how are you? You should ask how I am. <laughs> they never answer, they never get any information out of them. <laughs> uh, what's your name, sir, with a wonderful haircut, your wife is sitting on the end with a black dress, uh, you have a tremendous forehead, um, <laughs> what is your name, sir? Jacques. And this is your... You knew that man? His wife? What is, what is your name? Ilse. Ilse. Ilke. Bist du Deutsch? Ilke ist auch ein Deutscher Name. Weißt du das? Ja, yeah, schön. And how many children? Just one. Only one. God told you to fill the earth. <laughs> so what do you do, sir? I'm a station At what station? A fuel station damager. Manager. Manager. (laughs) There's much more potential and greatness in you than you've allowed yourself. You've accepted what circumstances and people have said to you over the years and got comfortable with that. You know your limitations. Now I'm here to tell you from God, you actually don't have limitations. The more you are engrossed in the Lord, the more things you can do. You can do all things. Christ who strengthens you. And God is causing you to shed the opinions and the limitations of your family, your friends, all the years to go a little higher. That God wants to bless you. He doesn't want you to move away, leave. He wants you to excel where you are. You'll stay in the same industry, but you'll own rather than manage. And that's what God's got planned for you. I think... The thing I like the most about you is your integrity. You're a very honest man, very honest, to a fault. And you take your time making decisions. You're not overreactionary, you're a good man. God has broken a curse of disease that repeats itself in your family. It will not touch you. It's true. You're the fighter. You're the one that will fight. If something's not right, you will fight. You're not scared to fight. And uh, you have all kinds of plans. When you're upset, you don't think straight. But when you have time to think it through, boy, you've got a plan. And you're a force to be reckoned with. And God has called you to anoint you to become a powerful prayer warrior. And one that will speak his word and touch people's lives. You can't make everyone happy. Even God can't. There are people in your family that they they bark all the time. They're just unhappy. and What you do, you tried that, you tried that. Everything's wrong. So don't even try. Please the Lord. But That's all that God asks of you. He'll, he's been your strength and the shield. He's brought you through many storms, as I'm telling you, of, of being refined by fire. You understand that because you've been through some really deep stuff and you wondered about that. It's all made you much better and you God's blessing. God really blessed your marriage. I want you to know this is no ordinary marriage. God has blessed the, the friendship. He's very different, he's a bit slow. It takes a long time to make a decision. You can't even go to a restaurant, it takes too long to get to the, you have to help move a little faster, but he's such an integrous anchor, that he makes you safe. He's a good man, you're an amazing couple, an asset to God's kingdom. Thank you for being here. Yes, a good God. We serve a good God, not a rotten devil. He's going to hell. I, he, can go, he, he can go to hell. I, I really don't... I, I welcome it. Yes, indeed. I'm going to ask the fellow with a blue shirt, third row, glasses. He's got a whole little family with him. What's your name, sir? What? Lofuno. So <laughs> is this your family next to you? Do you know who they are? Which ones are they? Are they, are they children? Are they What are they actually? I can't tell. And my wife. Oh, you, are you his wife? You knew that, didn't you? <laughs> What's your name? Portia. Portia. You're the powerhouse in the house. You're the supernatural girl. You know the things of God. You really have faith inside him, and I appreciate that. But you married a good man. He's a good man, but you're a powerful woman of God. You had to fight battles, and you look back on your life, you know that God has rescued you several times. And I honestly thank God for you, and I'm so proud to call you my sister, because you're very sincere and pure-hearted with the Lord. You really love God, and you're an amazing woman. You went through a lot of abuse and hell in your childhood, and that was not meant to happen. That wasn't supposed to be, but it made you stronger and made you more determined to be the woman of God you're supposed to be. You're a wonderful mother, a great mom and a great wife. You have you have not because you didn't ask. All you have to do is ask God; He will do for you. Just ask Him. Uh, uh, your name again, sir? So, Umphundisi. Um, well, what do you do for a living, sir? What? An auditor. Not the favorite kind, people don't really favor auditors, they don't like them. They just bring trouble, it's never a happy occasion. You're very smart and very methodical, but you have a heart of gold. I don't know how you became an auditor. It's so opposite to your nature. You're your mother's favorite child. It's the sweetest, kindest heart, always doing the right thing. It just were born with favor. Just like just like Joseph. And your family don't, the ones that don't like you, because they're just jealous of you. But God is on you. So how you became an auditor, I don't know, because you're a people person. You're a real shepherd. You care about people. Everybody likes you. Wherever you go, people like you. just very patient. When they're rude to you, Just very patient, and it always turns around. The worst of obnoxious people always end up being your friends because God turns around the favor God's on you I hope you're a member in this church because you are really a blessing and you add to the flavor of this family greatly the two girls tell me your name young lady Imani, Imani. Imani. tough little lady you're born to you're born to overcome you want to be boss everybody around love that <laughs> so I don't know where you've got that from But you're smart. You are very, very smart. How old are you now? Do you know what you want to be? You have options? There's a medical call in your life. You are so smart. And you are so good at quick decisions and helping people. The most fantastic thing about you is you really unselfishly care. Even when people are mean to you, you still have compassion for them, and you're under great pressure, you you excel, you do the best. So you'd make a very good surgeon, a very good emergency responder, everything, all those things would be outstanding in your life. Outstanding. Just walk more carefully with boys, because you don't need them to mess with you. (laughs) You're only gonna marry one. What's your name next to her uh, And how old are you? Um, 40. You don't know how old you are to think about it. <laughs> you're very different to your sister. Uh, you're a little bit more level-headed in some ways, and take longer to make a decision sometimes, but you've got a very good heart. You also go to college and university. It's God's plan for you. Step by step, you're a good communicator. You could be very stubborn about some things, very set, and you need to be a little more flexible. You understand that? Uh, you're only 14. My wife always said, and she'll be in the next service, my wife, she always said to my girls, be, be children as long as you can. You going to be adults a long time. <laughs> so don't, don't be more than 14. Be 14. Act 14. Live 14. Don't be a grown-up woman yet. Choose your friends wisely. You, you, you're a commander. You're a leader. Yeah? It's natural for you to lead, and you don't need people to like you. You're confident. A great spirit of confidence in you, but the Lord is knocking on your door to really show himself to you in a whole new way. Let him in. Let him have the full control. You, you, you open to the Lord, but he wants you to open all the more so you can have your complete heart. Okay? Thank you so much. I've got three more minutes. Thank you. Hallelujah. Isn't this fun? Pastor, do you have anybody in mind you thought I No, okay, good. You don't. <laughs> Hallelujah. What's it to you? <clears throat> you guys are too excited in this room. I can't stand it anymore. What's your name with a checkered red shirt with a little gray goatee sitting by himself next to a man with a yellow shirt? Uh, you know I'm talking about you, sir. With the... Yeah, we got the spotlight got you. What's your name? Graham. Graham. Hi, Graham. Are you married, sir? Would you like to be? Just point and click. (laughs) What do you do, Graham? Yes, you're very tired. You're very tired of the struggle. You've, you've tried everything you know to do, the devil's trying to put, put the feeling of failure or not making, it. it's a lie. The Lord's laughing at you. He so favors you, not because of what you've done or what you can do, but of what your heart is. You've got a good heart, you shut down, you've become withdrawn, and that doesn't please the Lord. He wants you to be the gram you always were. You can never please everybody. You're letting two or three people that comment influence you more than the 20 that comment differently. You need to start listening to the Lord, not the comments of those few people that are judgmental and... The, idiots. You need to, because God has, you have not born by accident. You've made mistakes, you've done things that you wish you could go back and change. Welcome to the club. There's not a person in this room that doesn't regret something. They wish they could have changed. And God has forgiven you. You've got to accept and embrace that completely. You're a very intelligent man. There's nothing much you can do. He's got open doors for you coming and going for interviews. And there's, there's three very important interviews. And, and it's the one you least expect is going to be the biggest blessing and the open door for you. Because you can do it. You Don't make excuses. Don't try and sell yourself short. Just be confident who you are. But you can do it. You're a very smart, man. You're a very steady man. And you, you get a thing done. When you start something, you work at it to finish it. So that's God's plan for you. There's nothing wrong with you. Got it? Okay. And uh, one minute and seven seconds. <laughs> and the guy with the little young fellow with the chicken shirt, quickly, tell me your name and your blood type. Uh, <laughs> my name's Gabriel. Gabriel. Oh, the messenger from Jesus, from God. So, how old are you? 14. 14. Are you married? <laughs> just checking. I'm just making sure. So, what do you want to do with your life, Gabriel? You still don't know. You're not a man that likes to study or open your books, but you are very smart. There's nothing wrong with your brain. It's just totally unused and brand new. You need to put it into gear. You will not be sorry because you are smart. You like speed. You like action. You like fun. You always do all kinds of things. People like you because you have a natural likability about your life. You've really got a kind heart, and you make friends very easily, but you need to follow the Lord first and foremost, that God can use you. You're far more creative. There's an engineer on the inside of you, design of some kind, designing engineer of some kind that God's planned for you. You will because but you are very mathematical, very scientific, very smart kid, and you will do very well. That's God's pleasure. And I've got 10 seconds to go. Pastor, come and do what you do.